Well, again, because of the holiday season, we're um, taking a pause from looking at Acts. And last Sunday, I um, spoke about the Lord Jesus and His birth. And today, I wanted to read from, from Ecclesiastes. And um, beginning here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. I'll pray. God, I thank you for your word and again for the truths that we'll be looking at that you've given us. I pray, God, that once again that our hearts would be just open to receive from you, to hear from you and to yield to you in faith and obedience. That we would love you and, and believe, God, that you are good and have only our good in mind, and that we would trust you, God, as we present ourselves to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, New Year's coming up, and we've just had Christmas, and everybody's opened up all your presents, and I know you were so thrilled and excited with everything that you got no disappointment whatsoever, right? Um, Patsy and I, we don't give presents very much to each other anymore. Um, the kids laugh and say it's because I always go out and buy for myself anyway, so what's the point? Um, but I, I did buy one present for her. I got her this super-duper, heavy-duty, deluxe pecan picker-upper. I have such a romantic present that I got for her. That's because I'm part French. Um, <laughs> She got me a shirt, and um, so we, uh, we, didn't, we didn't do a lot with the Christmas exchange, but it's a wonderful time of year, and we love giving, getting, everybody loves to get something new. Um, Michael and Brooklyn, they, they got their, their boys, Weston and Ford, they're probably watching, hi, Weston and Ford, um, they bought them these electric-powered individual, they each have their own uh, four-wheelers that go up to 10 miles an hour, and so they are scooting all over the place with these things, and they're thrilled. Brand new, they're thrilled. But as we look at the, at the new year, and it's called new because it's, we've never had it before, 2021, never lived it before, every day is always new. Um, I'm not always convinced that God really is flipping pages on the calendar and go, oh, it's a new year. Um, uh, I, and um, as much as we have hope that things are going to be better, we hopefully will not have an entire year of COVID, um, despite what some of the experts are saying. Um, we are hopeful that things will be better, things will be back to normal. But then you read Solomon here, and the guy is just oozing with depression and pessimism, um, and there's just not a lot of hope here. Um, with Ecclesiastes. In these two verses that I just read, he just wants to just kind of burst our bubble. And so I think these are wonderful verses to read on the, at the first of a year, okay? Because I'm going to get to the good part, but, if, but this is, we need to think here what Solomon's saying. And he goes, if you're looking forward to everything being new, Solomon says, I got news for you. Nothing is new. It's just vain repetition is where he's going to go. He says, that which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. 
There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new? And his answer is, already it has existed for ages which were before us. We know there's new technology, new innovations, new inventions. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is, is I, I got some depressing news for us. He says, we all are born, and then we leave, live a life of relative meaninglessness. Some people are going to have a little more happiness. Some people are going to have a little more success, a little more ease, a little more wealth, maybe more accomplishments and success. But guess what, Solomon says? It's all vanity. And we're all going to die. Happy New Year. <laughs> the best, Solomon says, that we can hope for is to enjoy a bit of life during our brief and meaningless existence. And this is God's inspired word. It's a wonderful book for young people, young men in particular. And he's trying to literally just, just say, put your hope in the right place. He wants to bust some bubbles. And at the end, he's going to say there's really nothing left when it all comes down to it except to love God and obey his commands. Amen. But what I want to get to here is, yes, if, if we don't factor God into life, if we live as though there is no God, and sadly, a lot of Christians do. We only cry out to God when we're in crisis. And basically, we just move through our lives like unbelievers do, with very little acknowledgement of God, very little active trust and dependence upon God. And if that's how we're going to live, then Solomon's saying, that's a pretty meaningless existence. And the only thing that can, can disrupt the meaninglessness and the vanity of this life is God himself and a personal relationship with him. And that doesn't mean our circumstances are going to change. It doesn't mean that COVID's going to go away. But it does mean that we can have meaning and purpose because of a personal relationship with Jesus that may not impact our circumstances whatsoever. So we can live in the same meaningless, vain circumstances as the rest of the world and yet have hope because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yes, Solomon's true. There is correct. There is nothing new in this world. And apart from Christ and a personal relationship with Him, it is a meaningless and repetitious life where we simply live and we die and nobody's going to remember us. But that is not the whole story. So that got me thinking, well, if nothing's new, well, what does that say about God himself? And this may be a little bit of a tangent to where I want to go, but think about God. And I thought about one of God's titles, in the, particularly in, in the book of Daniel, is the Ancient of Days. Well, that's curious because that makes it sound like God is old. But God isn't old. From our perspective, he is, because obviously he's been around for a really long time. But God doesn't age. God is ageless. He is, he is eternal. Old does not apply to God. It may apply to me, may apply to you, but it does not apply to God. We age. We grow old. God doesn't. 
And so no matter how many millions of years may go by, God never ages. It is closer to the truth to say that God is eternally new rather than to say that he is old because he doesn't age. So that's like if you were to get a brand new car. I only dream about this, you know, that, that I could maybe, you know, go to the plant where they're made, the factory, and, and, and I say, I don't even want you to drive it out the doors because I want to get in it when the odometer says zero. And I want to drive it out the door, and I want to watch the odometer start clicking from one-tenth of a mile, you know, and on up, you know. So that would be my dream, any kind of car, just brand spanking new. Well, with God, that's the way he is. He may be the ancient of days, but he never ages. And he doesn't have a beginning, so we can't really say that he's ever new, but he doesn't age. There is no age. There is no deterioration with him. There is no weakness that you can apply to God. He is, he is as strong and sufficient and able as he has ever been, and it will never change. Well, the same is true about truth. Because God is eternal and truth is eternal, for God is truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So just as God is ageless, truth is ageless. Truth, like God, is neither old nor new. There are no old truths or new truths, only eternal truth. Truths may be newly revealed, newly learned, newly discovered, but truth is not new. It may be new to me, but it's not new. There will be no new truths this year. Beware of new truth. There will be maybe newly discovered truths. I hope so. The gospel itself is good news, but the Bible doesn't describe it as new news. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, where the gospel is being presented there, and Paul writes, as was previously revealed. So the gospel of how to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ is, as it were, not a new message. It is something that God has revealed from the very beginning. It is eternal truth. New, as a description of age, does not apply to God or truth. New, as a description or quality of, of essence, does apply to God, His life and truth, in that it is a quality, it is, it is as it were, new. It never ages. His life his person, truth, do not grow old. They do not lessen or diminish or become irrelevant with time. But even though there is nothing new under the sun, the Bible has much to say about what is new. So I did a little bit of a concordance study, and I looked up pretty much all the references to new. And we're not going to go through all those this morning. But there are quite a few references to what is new. Even though Solomon has said, nothing is new. But Solomon's talking again about the closed system of a natural materialistic world. If you factor God out of this world, then it is a meaningless, vain experience. Nothing new is under the sun. But when you step back and consider God and factor Him in, then there is much that is new. And my hope is not just in the flipping a page of a calendar. 
My hope is not just in that circumstances would change. And I don't think there's any, any problem in hoping that certain circumstances change. But there's a more enduring hope. There are things that are truly new that are ours now that we can say, thank you, Jesus, and appropriate by faith, no matter what happens with our circumstances. In our relationship with Christ, this is maybe the biggest one, there is a new and living way to God. Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. So if you have that, you might, might just turn there in your Bibles. I just want to read through these verses. There is a new and living way to God. Well, what was the old way? Law. Performance. Do, do, do. But now God has, has rent the heavens. He has opened that way to come to God, and it is not on the basis of works. It is not on the basis of law. So Hebrews 10, 19 says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. How can I come before God? There's a new way. By the blood of Jesus Christ. And that gives me hope and gives me encouragement. No matter what else, how I may think about myself or how much failure I may see in my life, I don't approach God on the basis of my merit or my performance, but I can come to him by a new and living way, and that is through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. A new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's going to give four applications to this new and living way. Let us draw near. We have a new and living way to come before God. Why would we not draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water? All of us, you know, we sang about, you know, the guilt and shame he has taken away. Amen. But all of us have things in our life that we would never want anybody else to know about. Things in our past that we've done, failures that have been, and, we just, and, and, the, and those memories come back and the, and, the, and the prick of shame is there. The only thing that can cleanse our conscience is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing. And we're the only people on the planet that can truly live with a clean conscience. Do you realize that? Nobody else, all they can do is is deaden their conscience. We don't have to deaden our conscience. We can have our conscience cleansed. And it is cleansed through faith in Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood cleanses conscience. And we can stand before God. We We can draw near to God. And not have to draw near thinking, oh man, I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be shamed. We can come near. Because We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, washed with pure water. Second thing, application, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It's never going to be taken away from us, this new and living way. Third thing, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then fourth, for there is 
And then not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Such an important passage of Scripture. Solomon would say there is nothing new. The author of Hebrews says there's a major exception to that. We have a new and living way to approach God. And because of that, we ought not to um, forsake our assembling together. Amazing how quickly and easily that's happening. We ought to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, hold fast the confession of our hope, and draw near to God. Not only do we have a new and living way to God, I'm working through my list here. Second thing, there is a new covenant that God has given us. This is also spoken of in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, where um, the author is quoting from Jeremiah 31. A new covenant, for this is the covenant, Hebrews 8, 10 to 12. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and, I, and they shall know, not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is the new covenant. In Ezekiel 36, the new covenant is described as giving us having our, we've been washed pure from our sins, that we were given a new heart and a new spirit and the Holy Spirit who causes us to walk in obedience to Him. Praise God for the new covenant that we are under. Again, no longer a covenant of performance, of doing, of, of meriting, of, but just a, a, a perform, a, it's a covenant where God performs and we receive. There is a new commandment that we've been given in John 13, 34, that we love one another even as Christ has loved us. Well, that sounds like a new truth, and truth is not new. But it's not a new truth. It's a new commandment, a new law. Laws can be new, commandments can be new, but truth is eternal. It has always been true that we are to love one another even as Christ has loved us. And fourth, we have a new hope a new future, no matter what 2021 brings. We have life instead of death. We have the hope of acceptance and not rejection and punishment. We have the hope of new bodies at the resurrection. Won't that be wonderful? We have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth, of a new Jerusalem, of a new beginning. What a great hope that is for us. No matter how discouraging life may be, there is always hope for us. I have good friends that, um, a good friend is one who tells you about yourself, sometimes when you don't even want to hear it, and, um, and I have some good friends, um, <laughs> and I appreciate them telling me what I sometimes don't want to hear, but, I, but I've, I had a friend that one time told me, he says, Charlie, I love you, but if there's one thing about you that really concerns me, is how easily discouraged you get. And I thought, that's a friend, and it's true. And that's when I'm thinking like Solomon. Oh, it's all meaningless, it's all vanity, you know, there's nothing new. And I have to lift my eyes up and think of what is new. There is a new and living way. There is a new covenant. There is a new commandment. There is a new hope that we have. The Word of God continues. 
in speaking about our relationship to this present world, says we have become new creatures. We ourselves are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that God has formed a new creation. Galatians 6.15, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's one of our favorite verses, but it's one that's often misquoted. It doesn't say, again, just read it, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And behold, new things have come. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that quoted and people are saying, said, all things have passed away and all things have been made new. That's not what he's saying. And when you read it in its context, he's really talking about how we regard one another, how we relate together. Because in the body of Christ, how we formerly saw people no longer matters. We don't see people any longer by what they can offer us or what I can offer them. We don't see people by intellect or riches or race, skin color. Any of that doesn't matter. He says, we no longer appraise one another according to the flesh, but just as we once knew Christ according to the flesh, but no longer do we know him according to the flesh, even so, we are not judging one another according to the flesh. And that's where he says, we have become new creatures in Christ. And the old way of looking at one another has passed away. These things don't matter in Christ. A new perspective on people and how we view them. And that is something that God births in our heart. And it's a gift. We have a new self and a new spiritual identity. God no longer sees us as sinners separated from God who are at enmity with God, but now God sees us as His beloved children. That we are no longer unregenerate, unrepentant, hard-hearted creatures, but now we are the beloved children of God who have been saved and who have been made new. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Colossians 3, 9 to 10 says, Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Scripture also says, not only are we... Have we received a new identity personally, individually, children of God, new creatures in Christ? But corporately, we have a new identity. My, my most fundamental identity now as a Christian is not American, it is not Texan, but it's bride of Christ, church of God. This is my most fundamental core identity. And again, this is one of the reasons I think it's so important not to forsake our assembling together. Because this, we are something that God has created by the blood of Christ, by that new and, and living way to Him that should not be easily set aside. We are denying our identity when we think that we can make it alone because it is corporately, not individually, but corporately, that we are the bride of Christ. 
Scripture also says that we have a new citizenship. I understand that the ultra-wealthy are buying up citizenships around the world. Didn't know you could buy a citizenship, but apparently a lot of countries, they're for sale. And the ultra-wealthy are buying citizenship in, in, in numerous countries, so they have options of where to go when the whole world falls apart. How they'll get there, I guess, will be on their super yachts or something. I don't know. But, they'll, but, they, they, but we have been just given a new citizenship through faith in Jesus Christ. Heaven is our citizenship. Philippians 26, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13 says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So we have a citizenship in heaven, and we are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. That is my identity. I love being able to say I'm a Texan. Don't think there's any other place I'd rather be on earth. Um, but I'd rather be in heaven. And my citizenship is in heaven with Jesus. We have a also new, because of, our, of the life that we've been given in Christ, when we place our faith in him, we, we enter immediately into the newness of his life. So again, this is why we say age doesn't apply to God. If anything, it's more accurate to say that he is perpetually new, not that he is old. Even though his name is ancient of days, it just means he's always been around forever. But he isn't old. Because when you place your faith in Christ, Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might what? Walk in the newness of life. And it's his life. His life is perpetually new. This is where I, I, I like saying, you've heard me quote this verse before and, and, and make the same application. The newness of life does not depend upon newness of circumstance. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter how mundane, how routine, as Solomon was describing, it just goes on and on and on and nothing changes. In that kind of monotony, in that kind of drudgery, meaninglessness, we can experience and, and should be experiencing the newness of life. It's supernatural. Where a person can be doing the same meaningless, menial job over and over and over again, and be living in the joy of the Lord. It's a gift. And I, I, I'm not a person that would be good at doing the same routine over and over, as, as, as routine as my life tends to be. I didn't know how routine it really was until I was ordering in, at the Mexican restaurant in Comfort, and I order the same thing just about every time I'm in there, and I'm in there two or three times a week. And so finally, the guy, that's kind of, he's kind of the owner of the business, he says, you know, we, we have a name for what you order. And, and I go, no. And I go, what is it? And he goes, it's, it's the Charlie Special. <laughs> and, and he says, whenever I turn in your, your order, I just say, give me one Charlie Special. And because um, and I, 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 I get one, it's an enchilada plate with one beef and one cheese. And it's not on the menu. And so now it's the Charlie Special. So if you ever go to that restaurant in comfort, just say, I want the Charlie Special. They'll know what you're talking about. So I'm pretty routine. But I, you know, I, I'd had a job in high school 
working for a dairy products co company and they, in the manufacturing room they had all these different um, machines that, that packaged milk. And so there was the gallon machine and there was the half gallon and there's a quart and there's the half pint machine and there was a man that worked at each one of these machines. Talk about routine. Oh my word. I, I th and I'm going, praise God for people that can make a career out of something like this. And then they brought in a plastic machine that made plastic jugs. And they could not find anybody who was willing to run that machine. As monotonous as the milk machines were, those, those weren't too bad, because once in a while they'd catch on fire, so it'd get exciting in there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and once in, a, once in a while I had to run one of those machines, and I, and I had fires going all the time. Um, that was different, but it was interesting. They never fired me. Anyway, but that plastic jug machine, it, I don't know what it was, but they, for the life of them, could not find a man to run that machine. And this was back in the 70s, and all their operators for their machines were always men. And they could not find a man to save their life to run that. They asked me, would you, would you take over running this thing? Huge thing, a huge monstrous thing. I go, there's no way. I helped them install it, and I go, I want nothing more to do with it. And, um, and then I came back to visit one time, and they had two or three women in there just working to their heart's content running the thing. And I'm going, that's a gift that they can run this thing. But my point here is our, the newness of life has absolutely nothing to do with the monotony that we're experiencing. I wish we could all get a hold of that as Christians because so many Christians have, no, have learned nothing about contentment and they don't know how to be content. They don't know how to be grateful. They don't know how to stay and, and enjoy Christ in the circumstances where God has placed them. Again, this is supernatural. Because if we've not learned that secret of contentment, of Christ, in the circumstances where he's placed us, then no matter where you go, as Solomon said, it's going to be meaningless, it's going to be vain, it's going to be monotonous, and you're going to just waste your life because you can't enjoy the Lord where God's given you. Now, I know that doesn't mean never change your circumstances. I'm not saying that. But there are times when you can't. Do you realize how many, how many millions of believers in this world have no opportunity to change their circumstances? Nothing's, they were born into those circumstances. They will die in those circumstances. Nothing is going to change. They have no hope of change. The new year means nothing to them except another year of drudgery. We have to face that reality. As Americans, we're used to, we can just change whatever we want. We can hop out in and out of our circumstances at will. That is not the case for much of this world. But for all those who know Christ, they can know the newness of life. Even if it's making bricks. And we have friends that are missionaries in Pakistan, I've told you, and... Um, and they've been, since they've been there, they've gotten involved. It wasn't their intention at all. But the Lord's kind of dropped it in their, in their laps. But they've, they've gotten involved in trying to deliver people out of this literal slavery of making bricks for generation after generation. No hope. Every day. Just making mud bricks because of a small loan that they took out to pay for a wedding. And they'll have three generations working at the brick factory trying to pay off that, and they work there for year after year, generation after generation. But even in that, 
we can know the newness of life. Because our life is not our circumstances. Our life is Christ. And Christ never ages. Christ never gets old. And there is newness in Him. We also have a new song. Psalm 40, David wrote, he says, He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. See, again, I don't come up with a new song. Praise God, I don't have to. But God puts a song in our heart. As we live in the newness of life, this new and living way, this new covenant, all that God has given us, a new creation that God has made of us, a new corporate identity, a new citizenship, a song that God puts in our hearts. We can be thankful, truly thankful, no matter what is going on. Because God, my my circumstances may never change, but I've been forgiven, I've been cleansed, I've been washed, my conscience has been made clean. I have been taken up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and my feet have been set on the solid rock. And God has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. And finally, so I'm looking over all the different uses of new in the Bible. We serve Him now in the newness of the Spirit. Romans 7, 6, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Everything about the Christian experience is brand spanking new. It truly is. There's no routine. There's no drudgery. There's no, it, it is a relationship with the living God who is eternally new. This is what God has given us. We like flipping the page on the calendar and, and thinking maybe things will be better this year. We can look forward to some things. But again, for so many people, they flip the page on the calendar and they go, I can't see anything to look forward to. Our Christian faith has to be able to apply as much to them as to anybody else in the world, or it's not a genuine faith. When there is nothing that we can look at and and say, humanly speaking, there is any hope of it being better. We still... If it is a living faith with a living God who is eternally and perpetually new, then there ought to be hope. There ought to be confidence and joy, even when circumstances have no possibility of improving. And there is for us. We are not as Solomon, who just looks at life and says it's a closed system. And in this closed system, it is futile, meaningless, and vain. It is not a closed system. Christmas proves this, that God broke into this world, took on human flesh, and penetrated the naturalism, materialistic, closed system that so many people live their lives with that kind of deception. We have a God, and we can talk to Him, and He hears us, 
And he, he makes all things new. And he is making us new. He is renewing us. He is, he is conforming us to the image of his son. And one day we will stand before him and we'll go, this is truly new. But we're in that process now that despite our circumstances, and that's the only way that you could see the miracle of it, when the circumstances don't change, that's when we see the miracle of this new living way, of this new covenant, of this new identity, of this new corporate identity, of this new hope that we have, of the new creature that we've become, the new spiritual self that we have, all of this, the new citizenship we have, but especially the newness of life and that we now serve him, not in the flesh, not by trying to do our best, not in trying to constantly worry if we have his favor, if we may lose his favor, but we serve him in the newness of the spirit. And knowing he's put a new song on our hearts. And here's a new thing. I'm done. Don't think this is going to continue in the new year. But that's what God put in my heart. I was encouraged. I hope you are. As I was just looking at the word and thinking about a new year and thinking there's a lot that may not change. But can I still have hope? And as I just sat down with my concordance and looked at the different references to new and saw, yes, on the one hand, closed naturalistic worlds as many people live. But on the other, we have God who has come into this world, and he is the living God, and he has opened the way to live beyond this world, and not just in this world, but to live in Christ, knowing him and knowing the reality of his life, and that that is the controlling thing. I like to tell students when they, sometimes when they first come to his hill, I want, we want you to know in this year that, you're, that it, being in Christ means he is your circumstance. He is your environment. He is your culture. That just like a fish in water, that the, that the environment for that fish is the water, the environment, the circumstance, the culture for the Christian is Christ. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and he makes all things new. I'll close this in prayer. God, there are so many of our brothers and sisters in this world, as I've said, who have no hope of their circumstances changing while they're alive in this fleshly body. And I have to believe, God, I do believe that you are adequate to renew their hearts and to give them hope because our hope is Christ, even when there's no possibility of circumstances changing. That our living God that you are, you are sufficient and more than able, God, for our circumstances when there is no possibility of them changing, that you are our circumstance, you are our environment, and it is in you, God, that we truly live and move and have our being. Apart from you, we have nothing and are nothing, and I thank you, God, that we can look forward to new days and new years, but but our hope and our confidence, God, is, is not in calendar pages flipping, but it is only in you remaining the same, that you are the unchanging God, and that we can reckon on your faithfulness and your goodness each and every moment of every day.
Thank you, O God, for all that you are to us, all that you have supplied for us in Christ, for coming into this world that we might have a living hope and a living and new way to come before you. I pray, God, that the new song that you have put in our hearts, that we might live there, live in it, not with fretting and complaining and fearful hearts, but with a heart that sings because of the song that you have placed within us. In Jesus' name, amen.